How y'all doing? Is it okay if I speak from down here? Am I supposed to speak up there? I don't know what the rules are. I don't know what the rules are. We don't have any rules here. I'm not tall enough to stand down here. I got you. <laughs> so uh, my name's Adrian, but my wife's name is Lisa. She's five foot four, comes up about right here. She has blonde hair and blue eyes, and she is a righteous fox. <laughs> now, in case you don't know what that means, that means my wife is godly and beautiful. <laughs> In football terms, I'll put on my coverage. She's off the easy for she's. I don't know what that means. All I know is this, is, is my wife is the greatest woman ever, best thing since sliced bread, and before that was unsliced bread. She's the greatest woman. I remember I was a chaplain for the University of South Carolina for many years, and Lou Holtz interrupted me and said, no, sir, my wife's the best. I said, huh, coach, my wife's the best. He said, I'm the head coach. I said, how about a tie? Steve Spurrier's wife came up to me and gave me a big hug, whispered in my ear, the Lord has dramatically changed my husband's life. He's bragging about me everywhere he goes, and now he's bragging about Jesus. Jesus, he should charge sobbing. I'll say this right now. If you're a married man out there and you're not bragging about your wife, something is horribly wrong with you. <laughs> Let me show you a response to that comment. You're killing me. Okay, so listen, listen. I just think men should brag about their wives. I'm tired of men going half speed for Jesus. I don't want us to be candy faces or nothing like that. So I just think we need to, we need to brag about our wives or we're kind of sissy faces. You know, I don't know if I'm allowed to use that word, but I'm tired of that. I'm tired. Uh, come on, guys. It's time for us to man up. It's time for us to show that it's possible to be a man. I don't know why I point to that. Sir, can you give me a little pop? Just give me a little pop. Just hurry up. I'm working. <laughs> That's nasty. Okay. It's possible for you to be a man and love your wife. It's not some half speed thing. So here's what we're going to practice real quick. I want all the married men real quick to stand up. Take your time. Hurry up. All the married men stand up. Take your time. Hurry up. So we're going to have a little competition here. A little competition here. Whoever's the loudest gets a major award. Fred Gile, a major award. So whoever's the loudest. It got the Jesus free. That's good. I like that shirt. Okay, so I have ADHD squirrel issues, so that's going to distract me. Okay, so watch this now. So here's the last. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you five seconds to think about what you're going to say. Then I'm going to give you ten seconds to brag about your wives out loud all at the same time. You understand the rules? It's ten seconds. What normally happens, first five is pretty strong, last five weak. Seriously, fill up all ten seconds. Don't say, she's a good cook. Don't do that. <laughs> Use your diaphragm, hook up, but whoever's the loudest gets a major award. Ready? On your marks, get set, go. All right, good job, good job, good job. You can sit down, you can sit down. All right, who, who was the loudest? Y'all need to vote for me because I couldn't tell who the loudest. Who was the loudest? Right back here, right here was loud. Okay, right back here was loud. You guys are all pointing over there. Okay, appreciate that one. Okay, so here's your award. You ready? Major award. Attaboys. Come on, I used to pay for those things, man. I would pay for an attaboy. All right. Listen, I need you to do me a favor. Uh, I need you to quote for me your favorite Bible verse on the entire planet. Quote it for me out loud. Ready? Go. For God so loved the world. <laughs> that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. She's saying something over here. Mercy trumps judgment. I like that verse. That's good. Okay. Uh, anybody else that do, do a different verse than that one? Who did a verse? Give, give me a verse. Give me a verse. So, Joyce and the Lord always, Philippians chapter 3, verse 5, okay, uh, okay, uh, uh, anybody do John 3, 16, right, Jeff? anybody do John 3, 16, all right, good, the reason why I want, hey, good job, man, the reason why I wanted to do John 3, 16 is because I think John 3, 16, now, I gotta say this before I get started here, because I absolutely love being here, this guy right here is awesome, the plan A thing you're gonna get next week has radically changed my life, um, I, te I teach a Bible study with about uh, 60 or so businessmen in Columbia, South Carolina, where I live. Do I talk too fast? I teach a Bible study. How you doing? <laughs> You're going. Okay, so, and, and I've only, I go through the Bible, expositionally through the Bible, all the way through the Bible. That's why I, like, I teach topically sometimes when I'm preaching, but I like the exposition stuff like that, exegetical stuff like that. And I, I, only other book other than the Bible I've ever taught in 30 years of me doing this Bible study is that Plan A book. It is a book that changed my life rock my world. I want you all to be there. It's, it's, I'm telling you, it's the only book I ever taught in this Bible study. No, one other book I taught. 
uh, some apologetics book, which I really enjoyed. So, uh, uh, right, so here I'm going to say something that's very, very, very controversial, and please don't leave until I explain myself. You got it? I think John 3.16 is the worst verse in the Bible. Thank you for laughing. Now, who would say that out loud? See, I didn't grow up in church. How many of y'all grown up in church? Raise your hand if you've grown up in church. I didn't grow up in church. When I was younger, uh, it was, they got on the World Series, got on the Super Bowl. This guy with a rainbow hairdo, some of you might remember, rainbow hairdo, and he had a sign. He always got on TV. You guys remember that sign? What was on the sign? John 3.16. So I asked my mom, what is that? I didn't know if it was a Bible verse or a bathroom on the third floor. I didn't know what it was. I, didn't, I had no idea what that thing was. We had a big white Bible on the living room table, so I opened it up. Samson had big muscles, so I like looking at that. But um, 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 I looked at it, and John 3.16, okay, good verse. But that verse scares me to death. I think it's the most dangerous verse in the Bible now. You know why I think that? It's because all throughout time, words have changed. From their epistemological root, where they started from, words have changed in meaning. I was in Southern California, and these students said, Adrian, man, you are sick. I said, no, I'm not. I'm feeling pretty good. <laughs> they said, what's up with that, man? Sick means cool. Sick. I said, sick doesn't mean cool. I was in Miami, and these guys came up to me and said, Adrian, man, we really appreciate you getting all up in our grill. What is that, front of a car, barbecue? I mean, what are you talking about when you use the term grill? I played football in college. I could bench press around 430 pounds, something like that, four, you know, and I was under 405, and I was lifting it and getting it up. It was pretty intense, and it was pretty intense, but this guy who was lifting with me, he could bench press 535 pounds. He gets under 405, and he does this. He go, I said, you need me to stay close? He said, no, I got it. He starts going, and he starts throwing the weight up like it's nothing. And then he starts talking to me. How you doing, Adrian? I said, shut up, man. Don't you talk to me when you're warming up on my maximum weight. I mean, the guy was a monster. He did what's called anticipating the snap count. If anybody likes football, I see that shirt back there. How you doing? <laughs> okay. Uh, he did what's called anticipating the snap count. I don't know if you know what that means, but that's okay. He, he's a nose guard who goes through the center, grabs the quarterback, whoa, and slams him down all in one out movement. I was still in my stance. I got up and said, ha, ha, you mess with us, you mess with Phil. He was a monster. His nickname was Big Nasty. You walk up to him, you go, what up, Nasty? You go, yeah, because it was a compliment that you called him nasty. Words have changed all throughout time. The word nasty used to mean nasty, but for him it meant it was a compliment, something good. That's what scares me about John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, I think that word has changed in definition through time. And I think our nation, and I've been in 37 countries, I saw it in Cairo, I've seen it with missionaries, I've seen it all over the world, I think we're in trouble. I think Satan has gone into it, maybe something demonic or something, maybe just the fact that we're carnal, has gotten into it and changed the definition of the word belief. It's changed it. Now, why is that so significant for us? How many of you, you know your parents are Christians? Raise your hand if you know your parents are Christians. Raise your hand if you know your parents are Christians. All right, good. Most of you in the room. How many of you know if your grandparents are Christians? Raise your hand. Grandparents, grandparents. Anybody know if their great-grandparents are Christians? Anybody know? Yes. Great, 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 great. Adam and Eve. Okay, so watch this now. So why is that significant to me? The reason why it's significant to me is because in the Bible, just about every family generation, third generation, every one of them are far away from God. You have the first generation, King David, a man after God's own heart. Started, I mean, did awesome. King David, holy man, didn't finish so well, but at least he's going up a little bit. Then, then it's King David's son. Anybody know his son who became king? Anybody know the name of his son? Solomon. Solomon started well, finished horrible. 750 wives, 300 concubines. Really? Really, Solomon? It's worshiping these different idols and whatnot. Solomon, come on. Anybody know Solomon's son who became king? Anybody know his name? Rehoboam. Rehoboam, good, good. You know why there's only two or three that time? Because the first thing it says about Rehoboam is he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. That, so three generations. Now we have uh, 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 Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10, I believe it is. It says, uh, uh, we know that... It, this great faith that's in you that was first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice and now it's also in you. The problem with that is they all got saved at the same time. So it's not a third generational thing. But if you grow up in church, there's a chance, if you're the second, third, fourth, fifth generation, there's a chance that you may have gotten used to God through time. And the concept of believe has changed. And that's dangerous. Why is that dangerous? Because I believe the Bible's pretty clear about how there's a broad road that leads to destruction and many are on it, but there is a way that leads to life and few who find it. There are people who could do miracles, it says in a few passages later. Uh, cast out demons, do many miracles, speak 
And, and Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. I never had an intimate relationship with you. The biggest problem, I think, in our country today, in the church today, is the fact that people need to be born again. That's the biggest problem. I talked, I hunted with a guy named Will Graham, Billy Graham's grandson. I said, what does your granddaddy think about this? What does your granddaddy think about this concept? He says he thinks 70% of people go to church today don't know the Lord personally. I talked to a guy who prayed eight hours a day. Prayed eight hours a day. He led the prayer ministries for the, for the Southern Baptist Convention. I called him on the phone. I said, I guess he's a holy guy. Holy guy. I called him on the phone. I said, Dr. Hunt, T.W. Hunt's his name. Pastors. I called him on the phone. I said, Dr. Hunt, is it possible that someone could think that they're saved and not be? On the phone, he says, oh, Brother Adrian, I was praying about this for the last eight hours. I mean, the guy prays eight hours a day. And he started weeping on the phone. I think there's as many 80% of our Southern Baptist Church roles lost. And I'm going, oh, my goodness. So this morning, you know what I'm going to do for you? I'm going to show you the only place in the entire Bible the definition of word believe is given. Now, how do I know that? I've read the Bible through 37 times. That's how I know it. Now, honestly, I got a 770 on the SAT. I got a 15 on the ACT. You know what that means? Okay, thank you for the back. I appreciate that. Thank you. Appreciate you clapping there. Sir. That's good. That means the lights are on, but nobody's home. I'm a couple bricks short of a load, a few fries short of a Happy Meal. So my concept, the thing is right now, I'm not very smart, but I've read, the, I've memorized 16 books of the Bible. I'm not smart, but I can repeat and repeat and repeat, and I can get it. I can get it. I've studied the Bible through so many times. I'm going to show you the only place where the definition of word believe is given. If you believe like I'm going to demonstrate here this morning, like the Bible demonstrates, then you will spend eternity in heaven. The only way someone can be saved, Acts 16, 31, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. It's the only way someone can be saved is by believing. So I'm not going to change that. You can't change that. That's heresy. But the definition of belief, if you believe like it's defined in Scripture, you'll spend eternity in glory. If you don't, you won't. And it's not because God doesn't want you there. God does not want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. He wants everyone to be saved. But people are choosing not to because they're not believing the way the Scripture makes it clear to believe. You, you need to know there are two different definitions for the word believe even in the Bible. Turn to your Bibles if you got them to John chapter 2. Take your time, hurry up. John chapter 2, let's go. Take your time, hurry up. <laughs> or you can get your, your phone out, and it's a Bible, phone Bible. Bible. Bible goes west, and that's not funny. <laughs> John chapter 2, verse 23. Uh, now, he, while he was in Jerusalem during the Passover, he's talking about Jesus there. While he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. So, if you want to know the Greek word there, the Greek word is pistuo. That's the word believe there. Same exact Greek word in John chapter 3, verse 16. Same kind of Greek word for just about everywhere the word believe is used. So you, you, you got, so, it's the same word. So, many people saw the miraculous signs Jesus was doing and believed in his name. So, these people must be saved. If they're not saved, that means there's two different definitions for the word believe. Look at the next verse. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them. For he knew what was in a man. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. That, you know what happens when someone really gets saved? Christ comes and lives inside of them. Like the little boy looked up at his daddy and said, Daddy, how big is Jesus? And the father, we don't know, son, maybe it's about my size. Then the boy said, Dad, if I ask Jesus into my heart, ain't he going to stick out all over? Imagine having the infinite God inside of you. Imagine that. There's no way you could hide it. Yet 95% of people go to church today have never led another person to Christ. 97% do not consistently talk about Christ to anyone. I mean, imagine that. So there's going to be two different invitations this morning. Invitation number one is going to be for people in the room to believe. Believe. Doesn't matter how long you've been in church. That's not the point here. The point is not the, how long you've been in church. The point here is the definition of the word believe. If you want to believe, believe. If you don't, you, it's okay. But don't you dare, don't you dare care what anybody else in the room thinks about that. Why would you allow someone else to stop you from believing and spending eternity in glory? Why would you let someone, the way they talk, the way they gossip, why? Who cares? Eternity is way too long to be where you don't want to be. The second invitation is going to be for the people who have believed. What are you doing about it? How are you helping others to believe? So there are going to be two invitations in a Bible passage. We'll, we're going to do a study in what's called for the pastors. In the room. You guys like have 15 retired pastors in here. You guys know that? I'm like scared. I'm looking at them going, okay, so. This is called a hermeneutical study. We're going to study, we're going to interpret the Scripture based on hermeneutics. It's an amazing thing. Look at the next, 
there's two different definitions for the word believe, but in chapter 3, verse 1, we have a guy named Nicodemus who comes to Jesus at night. He's a teacher of the law. He's a Pharisee, a leader of Israel, spiritually speaking. Probably, I've heard that Pharisees, by driving a nail through the cover of the Bible, they would know every word on every page that the nail went through, just by where the position is. Now, that's not unusual. When I memorize books of the Bible, I'm actually reading them off of the page when I'm quoting them to churches. I know where words are on the page. So it's not unusual. These guys know a lot more than I would know, though. I mean, they have the Bible just about completely memorized. I've heard they do, but I can't really say that. I don't know for sure. But I know they memorize a lot of Scripture. So Jesus, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. Maybe he's afraid of what other people thought about him, reputation stuff. Maybe he's working all day because it's the Passover. Probably a little bit of both. So he comes to him at night and says, we know you're from God because you can't do the things you're doing unless you're from God. Look at that verse. Verse 2. We know you're from God because you can't do the things you're doing unless you're from God. What does that mean? That means Nicodemus is John 2.23. He's 2.23. What is 2.23? Remember what it says? It says, many people saw the miraculous signs Jesus was doing and believed in his name. So Nicodemus is one of these guys who believes in his name. We know you're from God because of the miracles you're doing. So it's the same, same thing, same context. Jesus looked at him and says, you have to be born again. Seriously? Okay, fine, fine, fine. Those of you who have grown up in church, boring, how many of you have heard a message on being born again? Raise your hand if you've heard a message on being born Almost every one of you. I didn't grow up in church. When I heard it, I went, what? What? Okay, let's just ask the question. How many of you men were in the room when your wives gave birth? Raise your hand. When your wives gave birth, were you in the room? Is that not the most intense thing you've ever seen in your entire life? Praise Jesus, I'm not a woman. I mean, what in the world? Praise God for women. Seriously? I mean, my wife's a tough lady. She's tough. I mean, she's raised on a farm. She bowls over hand. I mean, she's a tough lady. You understand what I'm saying? She's just tough. So she said she wants to go natural. I didn't know what that meant. I thought it was a baseball movie. Pretty good show. So I said, I'm, I'm, she's all hooked up to that seismograph when she's giving birth to our first child, Rachel. And I have issues with attention. Squirrel issues. ADHD, QTC 517 said hut issues. And so I'm watching a little needle that's and the higher the needle that's a little earthquake thing, what do you call it, seismograph thing, the higher the needle goes, the louder she's screaming. And I'm like, I don't know if you guys have probably, I made my kids watch this for educational reasons, SpongeBob SquarePants. So I'm like Patrick on SpongeBob. I'm shiny, I'm watching the needle. The higher it goes, and I'm, so, I'm coaching her, I'm coaching her. Come on, ladies, I'm coaching her. I'm being there. And so, so the next one, the next earthquake she experiences, the needle goes straight to the top. Now, this is our first child, so I've, I've never given birth before. This is my first child. I mean, I didn't say that right. You know what I mean. So I'm holding her hand, and I just said the first thing that came to my mind. Lisa, that's a big one. My godly, holy, righteous wife, holy God, and she said, shut up! And she's screaming. Her eyeball's about to pop out of her head. A vein coming out of her neck. You watch the tonic back on. She's squeezing my left hand, and this knuckle goes. She dislocates the knuckle in my left hand. My hand instantly swells up into a balloon, and I go, ah, at the same time. Midwife weighs about a buck 25, comes over to me, and she starts shaking me. Why don't you just shut up? I'm going, ah! It's the most intense thing I've ever seen in my life. Nothing I've ever seen compared to it. Nothing. Not, I've been through some intense stuff in my life. I've never seen anything like it. And when, when my daughter was born, it wasn't like that. She was cute. That may have been the ugliest thing I've ever seen in my life. She had a cone head. I thought they were going to paint her orange and put her on the middle of the street so cars would go around. I mean, it's, it looked like someone had beat her with a stick. It was, it, was, it was so bad. And I don't know if this is inappropriate. Probably is. I'm sorry. But... I don't, I don't mean to be too inappropriate, but when my wife's water broke, <laughs> my goodness gracious, I thought my daughter was going to come out surfing. It was like, it was all over the floor, so bad. Jesus uses that illustration to explain how someone's supposed to be saved. What? He says to Nicodemus, you have to be born again. As tough, as intense, I don't know if you were there when you were born. Wait a minute, that's not right either. You know what I mean. As tough, as as intense as being born is, that's how intense being born again is supposed to be. 
not just praying some prayer, coming down to the front of the church. I'm going to do it because my parents want me to kind of thing. You know what the national average is? And the national average is 92% of students who grow up in church who are no longer following any church in college. You know how far back that national average goes? About 60 years. That would include just about everybody in this room. You know what happens around the age of 26 when you get married or start having kids? Or something, you're thinking, ah, we should probably raise our kids in church. Not a bad idea. Because when you get turned turn 25, you, be, you get a brain back. So, um, appreciate that. So, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, this concept of being born again is intense. It's intense. It's an intense concept. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, you have to be born again. Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he's old? Am I supposed to go back into my mom? Be Jesus says, flesh gives birth to flesh. You've been born of water. No, 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 no. You need to be born of the Spirit. Nicodemus, in essence, says, I don't believe you. Jesus says, how can you, being a teacher of Israel, not believe? Great line, great line. Then he drops on him what I call the gospel bomb. Boom. Not John 3.16. I think there's a more important verse in this chapter. And I'll give a major award to anyone in the chapter who has it memorized. I mean, anyone in the church has it memorized. John chapter 3, verse 14, any, except for you. That doesn't count. Charlie, you don't count. Okay, any of you have it memorized? Raise your hand if you have it memorized. John 3, 14. It is the most important verse in the chapter. The most important verse. If you're Nicodemus, that is. Nicodemus, who knows the Old Testament like the back of his hand, Jesus said, just as Moses, think about Nicodemus' mind. He's been teaching Moses for the majority of his adult life. All Moses, last week in church, Moses, teaching him. Just as Moses lifted up a snake in the desert, Nicodemus goes, oh, four weeks ago I taught on that. I, I just made that up, sorry. <laughs> okay, so, so he taught, he's taught this passage, I promise you that. Just as Moses lifted up a snake in the desert, so the Son of Man is going to be lifted up, verse 15, for, for everyone who believes would have everlasting life, for God so loved the world and gave his only begotten Son. So the problem is, we probably didn't do our quiet time in numbers. Anybody do their quiet time in numbers this morning? Appreciate it. Whoever laughed back there, appreciate that. Oh, that's Charlie. How you doing? So quiet time in numbers? I mean, I mean, I, mean, I love numbers. The older I get, the more I like it. But I just say this right now, when I was younger, it's like, <laughs> like eating sand. I wonder who's going to study numbers? But I love it now because I'm old, and I read slower. I look like a Q-tip. <laughs> White hair. Okay, so, so if you got your Bibles, turn to the book of Numbers, chapter 21. Let's look at this passage, Numbers 21. Take your time, hurry up. Let's figure out what Jesus meant when he said, just as Moses lifted up a snake in the desert, because you're going to find the definition of the word believe right here in this passage. The definition of word belief. Now listen, if you don't believe like this, it doesn't matter to me how long you've been in church. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Going to church makes you a Christian like going to McDonald's makes you a Big Mac. Or sticking your head in the oven turns you into a biscuit. Doesn't work that way, ladies and gentlemen. I can usually tell how someone, what someone thinks about the Lord by watching you worship. Now I'm a conservative evangelical. I don't know if that's a bad word anymore or not. It might be for some people. I don't know. I'm a, so I don't go crazy. But I'll tell you this right now. If you love Jesus, you probably ought to tell your face. Because when I see people worshiping God like this, I hate sitting on the stage. You know what I'm saying, preacher? I hate sitting on the stage when I'm, when I'm getting ready to preach. I ain't going to sit on no stage because then I got to watch people worship. Praise God. <laughs> Greatest song ever written, and people are yawning across the nation singing it. Oops. All right. Numbers 21, verses 4 to 9. That's the passage that Moses, uh, Jesus was referring to. Uh, it says, uh, they traveled around Mount Order, go around Eden, but the people grew impatient on the way. Verse 4. Uh, who's the people there? Anybody know? The Israelites in the desert. Anybody know how many? Okay, I'll tell you. Three to three and a half million. How many? They've been in the desert now for 38 years. How many years are they going to be in the desert total? 40. 40 years. Good. So that 38th year, they traveled around, uh, uh, the people go, uh, uh, they traveled from Mount Or along the route to the Red Sea to go around Eden, but the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses, and they said, Moses, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There's no bread, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food. Anybody know the name of the miserable food? Manna. Anybody know what manna means in Hebrew? Literally means, what is it? 
The Hebrew word manach means, sorry, that was funny, but I shouldn't have done it because y'all went. <laughs> Manna literally means what is it? Okay, imagine my wife cooking all day long, and I walk in the kitchen and go, Lisa, what is that? I'd be wearing the food, you know what I'm saying? But that's what the God called, that's what the people called God. You were right. God didn't call it manna. God called it the bread of angels, Psalm 78, 25. And he calls it the bread of God in John chapter 6. Doesn't call it manna. God doesn't call it manna. The Israelites called it manna. I know where it came from. The first Jewish guy wakes up in the morning. He's, he's, I don't know why we scratch in the morning. We scratch. He goes, he says, hey, in Hebrew, I know hey is maybe it's humushika. Humushika, manna. In other words, hey, what is that? That's where the name came from. He said, what is that? They had manna mush for breakfast. Some of you are thinking, what about the quail? Yeah, that was 30 years ago. No, sorry, 38 years ago. So they had manna mush for breakfast for 38 straight years. Manna burgers. Manna jam sandwiches, two pieces of manna jam together. They kept all of it in their manna refrigerator. <laughs> Come on, that's funny. That's funny. I'm working up here. I'm working. Manna cotty. Okay, so watch this now. <laughs> you, guys, you guys are so much fun. Only smart people get my jokes. Y'all are brilliant. Couple of you, a little bit behind, but it's okay. Okay, so watch this now. So, because they were complaining, God chose the Israelite nation to be a light to the world. And because they turned inward, they were no longer a light, so the Lord would send some type of plague against them. Now, I'm not talking about the Egyptian plagues. There were 10 plagues before this one while they're in the wilderness, 10 different plagues that God sent against them to get their attention to be a light to the world again, to be a nation of priests. But because they turned inward, the Bible says the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. The snakes bit the people. Many Israelites died. Now, how many of you in the room, by a show of hands, are afraid of snakes. Raise your hand if you're afraid of snakes. Raise your hand. Yes! Perfect! Now, my wife is terrified of snakes. I, I not so much. I grab them, wrap around my arms. Not that big. I don't mess much with poisonous, po how they say it in South Carolina? Poisonous snakes. I don't mess with them. But my, I, my favorite place to go in the zoo is the ark where they house all the reptilia. And my wife holds her hand on my back of my arm. Why do we flex when a lady, because I got a little something, something. So she's holding onto my arm. And I say, look, look at that eastern diamondback. Oh, that's awesome. She says, no, squeeze a little tighter. Look at this uh, water moccasin over here. But you got awesome. She said, no, squeeze a little tighter. I said, what are you doing in here? Just want to hang out. We come around the corner. I said, I bet you can't find seven snakes in there. It looks just like tree branches, little harmless snakes. She goes around the corner of my arm. She says, no, there's eight because she's at five, four, and there's one hidden up there. I said, that's not fair. She said, I win, I win, I win. So we walk around the corner. I see my first ever. Now, I've always wanted to see one of these. It was about five foot long, six inches thick in the middle. It looked like it swallowed a goat. Go ahead and put the picture up on the screen for me. It was a sand viper. See what a sand viper looks like? It looks like a little Satan snake. You understand what I'm saying? Looks like a butcher of guy, evil. So I come around the corner, I see this sand viper, and I go, oh! And honestly, I was scared. You know what I'm saying? So I'm going, oh, the butcher. I wanted my wife to have that same joy. <laughs> that surpasses understanding, you know what I'm saying? So I said, Lisa, look at that snake. I bet you can't find it. You can see it's perfectly camouflaged with the sand. Okay? These are the sand vipers. I talked to some soldiers from the southern Saudi Arabian area, and there's thousands of them around that area. So this is the snake God probably used in the desert, or sand viper. He used it several times to meet out his justice throughout the scripture. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking this is the snake. Now, there's two different kinds of snakes. There's two snakes that have the same kind of mentality. One's a water moccasin. If you've ever been fishing and a snake tried to get in your boat, I guess you guys don't have that out here in Colorado. We have it in the south, okay? So I'm just, a snake, that's called a water moccasin. They have their territorial. That's the same thing with a sand viper. They'll strike the back of a horse, throw the rider off, strike the rider multiple times. They're a violent-natured snake. This snake that was in our zoo died by striking the glass multiple times trying to get at people. This is a nasty-natured snake. So I wanted my wife to have the joy that I had. I said, Lisa, look at that snake. I bet you can't find it. My holy righteous wife comes up from behind my arm there because it's competition again. She says, there's not a snake in there. And she was looking in the back. And it was right up against the glass, perfectly camouflaged with the sand. And it was looking at her. Here, I like blonde hair. Give me a little kiss. I'm, I'm an evil. 
She gets closer and closer to the glass saying, there's not a snake in there. I said, it's right there. Not telling her where it was. She, this thing's four to six inches from her face. I said, Lisa, just look straight left. She looked straight left in the eyes of Satan's snake himself. I about evil. And I remember what she said. I have it memorized. Her eyes go, Wah, like that. And she said, ah, at the top of her lungs. But while she's screaming, she's squeezing, and I felt her fingers touch through my arm. So I said, ah, at the same time. It had been okay for the only two people in the room. Well, not the place is packed. There's a cobra over here, and this woman in front of the cobra pit turns around and goes, ah, at the same time. And screams out of the top of her lungs, there's a snake out! And picks up her kid, my kid's kid, picks her up, and his feet are going back, back, out the back. And she says, let's get, let's get out of here! And starts running out of the room. The whole room, whoom, cleared out. Just like that. Except for Lisa and I. So it was legal for her to take her fist like this and go, wow! It still hurts. 19 years later. There's two different types of snake bite. Now, I'm telling you this story because I want to get into the context. I want to get into the mind of Nicodemus, what he was thinking when Jesus told him as Nicodemus, as Moses lifted up a snake. So Nicodemus knows that there's two different types of snake bite. One cobra, affects your nervous system. The other one is this kind of snake bite. It's a hematoxin that makes your red blood cells elongate, get ripped open. They can't get through the capillaries, and so they... The plasma, the liquid part of the blood goes through. The hands swell up to like club hands. The way you die from this snake bite is your organs inside of you tear open at the capillary level, fill up the organs, and the organs inside of you explode. Blood comes out of your nose, out of your mouth, out of your eyes, out of your ears. And you die from what's called internal hemorrhaging. Uh, my daughter and her best friend were running through the backyard of my a friend's house. And she said, ow, her best friend said, ow, I was stung by a bee. I stayed at a Holiday Express the night before, so I said, let me look at that. I can figure this out. Let me look at this. So I looked at it, and there are two hole marks right next to each other. And I said, that's probably not a bee sting. And she said, what do you think it is? I said, I think it's a snake bite. Is it poisonous? I said, well, no, in five minutes. <laughs> Sorry if that offends you. And five minutes later, we knew. Boom. Into a balloon. So we got her in the back seat of the car with her dad, and I was driving the dad's car, and I was driving through the city streets of Rock Hill. Bad boy, bad boy. I mean, I'm driving through red lights on the sidewalk. No, I'm get out of the way. I mean, I'm going live PD. So I'm getting there as fast as I can, and I pull up to the, uh, to the emergency room. They, we called ahead, told them we were coming. Came out and got her, rushed her in. Halfway up her leg was swelling like a balloon, really bad. This is a dangerous thing. Take your life quickly. You guys know about the Western Diamondbacks around here. You understand this concept. So they put a line around to see if the swelling was going to increase. It didn't. It decreased almost down to nothing. We thought, yes, she made it. That night when she was at home, the, the poison reactivated somehow, and her legs swelled up the size of an elephant leg, and she almost died. Let me just say this now. It is a horrible way to die. The Bible says the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. The snakes bit the people in many Israelites died. Out of all the plagues, this is the only one where we don't have the number that died. 24,000 over here, 10,000 over here. We have, we have thousands we know, but we don't know the number of this one. But for the first time in 38 years, a line was given. Listen, this is very important to the definition of the word believe. Did Jesus do this one on purpose? That's a silly comment. He did everything on purpose. So yes, he knew this was the only time the Israelites had what's called godly sorrow. Because they came to Moses and said, Moses, we sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. First time they ever said that. Every time before they said, if you look back at it, for every time before they said, we sinned when we spoke against you, Moses. First time in 38 years they said that line, we sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Why is that important? I walked into my room drunk the first day of two days in college football. My roommate jumps up, gives me this big hug, and starts screaming at me, roommate, how's it going? He was an all-state linebacker from Tennessee, so I couldn't get him off me. Finally, he lets me go. I jump up in the bed, he goes back to his desk and starts reading something. He's reading something three weeks before school starts at 2.30 in the morning. What could you be reading? So I'm sobered up a little bit now, I'm going to pick on him. Hey man, what you reading there, buddy? He looks at me with this big smile and says, I'm reading the Bible. Have you ever in your life ever seen somebody smiling reading the Bible? Usually it's, uh, chicka bucka bucka. Oh, man. Check. Okay, let's go have fun. I mean, this guy was smiling at 2.30 in the morning. And for the first time ever, 
I saw my sins hurting Jesus. No one had ever shared the gospel with me. I didn't know. I saw Jesus of Nazareth on television several times. I was a good CME churchgoer, Christmas, Mother's Day, and Easter. It's a new denomination, CME, pretty good denomination. Three times a year, sometimes one. So I'm sitting there, laying in bed, and I saw me lying to my mom the week before about smoking marijuana. She said, you don't smoke marijuana, do you, son? I said, no, I'm not stupid, mom. There's a reason why they call it dope, you know. And for the first time, I'm laying there, and I saw it crushing the heart of Jesus. What does this mean? In 2 Corinthians 7, 10, it says, Godly sorrow, when you realize your sins hurt God, godly sorrow leads to repentance. The word repentance there is the Greek word metanoia, which literally means to change your mind. You're walking this direction in sin. In the Old Testament, the word is shuf, which means to about face. It's a military term. So you're walking this direction in sin, and you go, my mind is changed concerning this sin. I don't want that anymore. I don't like it anymore. I'm sick of it. And I turn from that and turn towards God. That's the concept of repentance. Godly sorrow leads to repentance, which leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow leads to death. Everybody's sorry about their sins at one point or another, I hope. I've even seen some death row people sorry about their sins. But godly sorrow leads to repentance, which leads to salvation. Until you have had godly sorrow, you've never truly given your life to Christ. The only way someone can be saved, it's a coin, heads and tails. The tails part is repentance. The heads part is the word belief. So tail, it's, they have to work together. They have to work together. And Luke 13, 3 says, unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Same exact Greek word in John 3, 16, for God's so the world, whoever believes should not perish. So you have, to, you have to realize your sins. Do you realize that your sins have hurt God? So the Israelites told Moses, we're, we sin when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Tell the Lord we're sorry. Moses goes to God, says, they're sorry. What do we do? God says, Moses, make a snake out of bronze. Put it up on a pole. Go ahead and put that next slide up there. Put this bronze snake up on a pole. It's called Nehushtan in the Hebrew. Nehushtan. Any doctors or nurses or medical or, or uh, you seen the little snake on a pole? It comes from this passage. It comes from this passage. God says, make a snake out of bronze, put it up on a pole, then whenever someone's bitten by a snake, all they have to do is look at the snake on a pole and they'll get healed. <laughs> okay. Okay. When I read it, I didn't have the response you're having right now. Okay, big deal. No, no, the time out! Come on, God, just take the snakes away. You sent him in here. Why don't you take them away? Because he knew in his sovereignty that you'd be in this room today. He knew you'd be in this room today. Oh, my groceries. Do you see the sovereignty of God and how blessed it is? He knew you'd be sitting there going, hmm, this guy's crazy. I he knew you were thinking that. Give me some pound because I love you. You know what I'm saying? He knew we'd be in here. This, this illustration's for us today. It's for us. Because the definition of the word believe is right here. I'll show it to you. Walking through the desert, you've heard that some of your friends were bitten and looked at the snake of the pole and got healed, even if you didn't hear. But you know that if you look at the snake of the pole, you've heard that you can get healed. How do you know in this room, if I'm walking this direction, Bam, get bitten by a snake. How do you know if I believe it or not? That looking at that thing will heal me. How do you know if I believe it? Can you say it a little bit louder? If you look at it. I'm sorry, sir. You have an amazing voice. What's the name of that guy, that country singer? Awesome. Can you be a little stronger? If you look at it. Okay, that's the definition of word belief. Look at the snake on a pole. Time out. Time out. If you've grown up in a church, come on. It's not just looking at it. I mean, think about it. Did they look at it and get healed? Man, that's awesome. Praise God. You think they were bored in the desert when they got bitten by a snake and then they got healed? You think they were bored? I think they were popping the non-alcoholic wine bottles and having a party. Just in case anybody has some issues. Okay, so what you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? I bet, I bet they're going to, <laughs> I bet they're screaming at the top of their lungs. Okay, definition of word belief. I'm about to give it to you right now. Only place in the Bible is right here. Got it? Bitten by a snake, bam! How do you know if I believe it? If you, <laughs> oh, that's too slow. Come on! <laughs> oh, that, that was good. That felt good. Still not getting it. Tense, 
sewn together for miles, or set up together for miles, not sewn together, but set up together for miles. The quartermaster general of the army said, the area to house three to three and a half million Israelites with all their flocks would be roughly three quarters of the size of the state of Rhode Island. Huge campground, miles distant, and they're in valleys here between mountains. So miles and miles, okay? Tents, you can't see over the tents, but you don't want to walk around for miles to get to it, so you do something like this. Now, are you allowed to jump in church? Honestly, if I was bitten by a snake, you had a bunch of tents set up here, and I had to jump to look at them, I don't stinking care what you think about that. I don't care what you think. I'm going to jump in church if that's the only chance I have. I mean, the definition we believe is, <laughs> now, let's just say, uh, Charlie, come on up here. I wanted to use a guy who's just visiting here because this is going to be painful. Come on, stand over here. <laughs> All right, Charlie, you're my best friend in the world for this illustration. You were bitten by a snake, weren't you? Say yes, sir. Yes, sir. It hurt, didn't it? Say yes, sir. Yes, sir. You want to look at the snake on a pole and get healed? Say no, sir. No, sir. Why not? Say I don't believe in that stuff. I don't believe in that stuff. Uh, you want to take a walk and say goodbye to all your friends here before you die? Say yes, sir. Yes, sir. But you can't walk because your legs are swollen. Say yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, so you want me to carry you? Say yes, sir. Yes, sir. He said yes, sir. All right, <laughs> bend over my back. No, bend over like this. Oh, my goodness. You're heavier than I thought, Charlie. Okay, what? All right, say goodbye to your friends. Hurry up. Say goodbye to your friends. Yeah. Goodness gracious. Say goodbye to your friends. Hurry up. All right, say goodbye to your friends. Hurry up. Okay. All right, now listen. Listen. You, what, what have you been eating? Okay. Just lean over. Just relax. I forgot. Did I tell you this is going to hurt? I forgot to tell you that. Okay, now listen. I can't make him look at the snake on a pole. He's my best friend, though. So I'm going to bring him over here closer to it. You know what I mean? And ask him nicely, with joy and peace and compassion, with love and kindness, and patience to simply look at him. Come on, come on, Charlie. Jump, come on. What are you doing? <laughs> Give it up for Charlie. <laughs> that illustration hurts. All right, let's bring this home. John, John chapter 2, quickly. I mean, John chapter 3. Go back to John 3. Let's bring it home. John chapter 3. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert. Now you know the story. Now you know what Nicodemus was thinking. Now we know born again, and the word believe is a lot more than what we've been taught even sometimes. Not by your pastors, but by our tradition and our cultures. Church attendance is really, really important to me. Don't get me wrong, but it doesn't save anyone. And one out of every one of us are going to die in here or be raptured. That'd be cool to be able to dunk on the way up. That'd be awesome. Just, just did the funeral a couple weeks ago for a dear friend who died of COVID. 34 years old. Three kids, one more on the way. God bless you. May the Lord God Almighty bless you so much that you blow up spiritually speaking because it's obvious that you love him. Okay, so watch this now. Let's bring this home. John chapter 3, verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the stake in the desert, so the Son of Man is going to be lifted up. Now, the word lifted up in the book of John, written five times, every time it's written concerning Jesus, it means the same thing. John 12, 32. Jesus said, if I'm lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. So what does that mean? If I'm lifted up, I'll draw all men. John said in verse 33, Jesus was talking about the way, next slide, he was talking about the way he would die. So the word lifted up means crucified in the book of John. 
I know it means praise and worship in other passages, but in the book of John, it doesn't mean praise and worship. It means crucified. So Jesus says, if I'm lifted up, I'll draw a man into me. John chapter 3, verse 14, Jesus said, just as Moses lifted up the stake of the desert, so the Son of Man is going to be lifted up. That everyone who believes, well, what does it mean? Every one of us in this room have been snake bitten by a, sin, a snake called sin. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I'm worse than most of you in the room. Uh, I can't really say that in here because there's a lot of people older than me. <laughs> Usually I'm speaking to students. But uh, us older people, we've sinned more, haven't we? Because we're old. So we know, we know, just as Moses lived those things in the desert, we've been bitten by sin if we believe in Jesus now. So what's the definition of the word believe? It's not, oh yeah, sure, I believe. It's, ah. I did that one time and my pants went, That's the definition of the word believe. I don't care if I'm embarrassing myself. To believe means that you would necessarily be embarrassing yourself because it's countercultural completely. As far as the culture is concerned, you'd be embarrassing yourself. You know what the problem is? People get stuck in a rut. We have a sign in Columbia, uh, down in South Carolina, a sand road. Four wheelers take it, they love it. But the sign says, choose your rut wisely because you're going to be in it for the next 20 miles. And we get into the rut of going to church one hour a week versus a whole six and whatever days of the world just pummeling us. So have you believed? You know what I say about this one hour a week? Don't need it. Just give me 30 seconds. Spirit of God rushing into somebody. Can't stop them. Can't stop them. How do I know if you're saved? I know you're saved by your fruit. Scripture says, so prove to be my disciple by bearing much fruit. What is fruit? Fruit is action. 88% of people go to church today don't tithe. Now, I'm not going to get your tithe. I'm not. I am. I don't even know if I'm getting paid for being here. And honestly, I couldn't stink and care less. I'm sure that you probably are. Sorry. But I'm not doing it for that. Why in the world would I go anywhere for money? When I'm preaching about Christ. So you know you're saved by your fruit. 95% don't share the gospel. Or have never led someone to Christ. 61% Charlie says don't share the gospel. Never share the gospel. So where's the fruit? The other evidence that you know you're saved is by conviction of sin. The Holy Spirit of God's inside of you. When the Spirit, when you believe, when you hear the word truth, the gospel of your salvation, and haven't believed, Ephesians 1.13, you're marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance to the days of redemption. So we're sealed with the Holy Spirit when we believe. The Spirit of God testifies in my spirit that I'm God's child, Romans 8.16. Romans 4.31, do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you've been sealed. So, how, so whenever I sin, the Spirit of God says, I don't like that. My Spirit says, yeah, there's a testimony between the two. Yeah, I'm sorry what that looks like, but yeah. So whenever you sin, it feels bad. So if you're gossiping, lusting, cheating, lying, the late Larry Burkett, a famous guy, said the number one sin in our country is cheating on taxes. If you're cheating and it doesn't bother you, pretty good chance you might not have ever truly believed. So what's the definition of word belief? Here it is. I'm going to show you the only place in the Bible. It's the passion I have in me, knowing that I've been bitten by a snake. The only chance I have is that I need ah, Christ. Now, not physically jumping. It's figure of speech. And then, let's take it a little further. Those of you who have believed, are you bringing other people to see Jesus? Self, how silly that looked. That's the way I feel every time I share Jesus with somebody. I feel silly. But how evil would I be if I had the cure for hell and kept it to myself? I mean, the cure for COVID, keep it to yourself, evil. Cure for cancer, keep it to yourself, evil. The cure for hell is a far, far, far greater evil. 
You kept it to yourself. So let's bring it home. Jesus tells Nicodemus, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man is going to be lifted up, that everyone who believes would have everlasting life. For God so loved the world, best verse in the Bible, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever, that whosoever, whosoever believes would not perish forever and forever and forever and forever in hell, but forever and forever and forever would live in glory. John 3, 16, best verse in the Bible. Best verse in the Bible. Let's pray. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that every person in here would believe if they haven't. And for all those who have, they would commit their souls to uh, sharing your truth with others. As scared as they are, Paul was scared. He even used the Greek word phobos, much fear and trembling. So I pray, Lord, that your spirit would help us to know what to do about this message this morning. Help it not be just going through the motions. Now, with your eyes closed and your heads bowed for just a second, I forgot to ask what type of invitations you do. I don't know, so I'm not going to look at either of the pastors, so we're just going to go. I looked at him. He he gave me the thumbs up. So here it is. Eyes closed and heads bowed. How many of you in the room would like to say, you know what, Lord? That's the way I want to believe, and I've never truly believed that way. That was demonstrated. Would you raise your hand in the air? Just raise it up in the air raise it up high. Let me see your hands. Hurry up. Take your time. Five seconds. Four, three, two, one. Good. Put your hands down. How many of you have believed like that, but you've not been bringing people to Jesus like you know you're supposed to, and you're sick of it, and you want to bring people to the Lord, and you want God to use you? Raise your hand up. and Let me see your hands. Let me see your hands. Five seconds. Four, three, two, one. Good. Put your hands up. Lord, looking forward to seeing what you're going to do here. Love you and praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. All eyes open, all eyes looking around, wondering who would do it. Let me just tell you, being born is tough. It's not easy. I'm tired of this sissified Christianity that we, that we set up in our culture. You agree with me too, don't you? All right, all eyes open and looking around. Wondering who would do it. Please, please don't be afraid of what other people think. Even if you're the only person who stands. Even though there are I don't know, about 10 hands that went up. Even if you're the only person, if you want to say to God, that's the way I want to believe. I want to believe. And I've never done that before. I've never believed like that. And that, I want that to be my definition of belief. I want to tell the Lord I'm sorry about my sins, and I want to surrender every. If that's what you want to do right now, stand up right now. All eyes open, all eyes looking around, wondering who would do it. Stand up now, Go. Okay? Keep standing. Stay standing. Bow your heads right where you are. Just bow your heads right where you are. Tell the Lord you're sorry about your sins in your own words. And surrender yourself to Jesus. Tell him in your own words, I believe. Okay, while they're praying, how many of you, how many of you realize that you have believed, but you've not been bringing people to Jesus like you know you're supposed to? You stand up now too. Stand up now. I don't know if I'm allowed to do this, but let's just do it. I want all of you who are standing to come down here to the front because I love the altar being the foot of the cross. Jesus is on the cross here, so come on down here. If you've got good knees, get on your knees. If not, just stand here. Or if you want to sit on the seats in the front row here, you can do that. But just come down and get on and ask the Lord to put somebody on your mind who you want to lead to him and surrender yourself to Christ. Hallelujah. Pastors, I don't know what, you, what we should do with uh, the people who wanted to believe. Let me send them to you after this. All right, if, those, if you're one of those 
who stood up first, come talk to pastor afterwards. Um, make sure that you have all the proper material to keep on growing. Hallelujah. For the people who are already sharing their faith like crazy, would you, would you stand and pray for these people? Just pray for them and ask God to pour out your spirit on them. We love you, Papa. We love you. You're the best. While they're singing, you just keep praying. Don't let the song be the invitation to stop praying. Let the song fill your prayers. Thank you, Papa. Thank you for moving in our hearts. Thank you for this great, awesome church. <laughs> Thanks for letting us laugh and smile and enjoy you. But I pray, Lord, that you give us some people who uh, give us the courage to stand up and say the words. Help us to be your men and women. And maybe some people in here cook so we can take some groceries to somebody and Tell them about Jesus. We love you. You're the best. In Jesus' name. Amen. As you guys, uh, you, you can remain here if you would like, or as you return to your seats. We serve an awesome God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Adrian, thank you so much for being here. We appreciate it. Let's give Adrian a hand. If you're looking at, hey, what does it mean to continue forward growing and maturing and, and following Jesus, uh, Pastor Stephen, I would love to talk to you about it. Also, Plan A coming up this weekend. 
guaranteed 100% will help you continue to grow in this. And uh, we're also launching a new tool called Multiplying Movements uh, Forges. We've been working on it for the last seven months. You can find it at multiplyingmovements.com. I'll be announcing that in the future. Uh, not all the aspects of that website are fully perfectly working, but you can access the app through the web version. So if you want to go to that website, multiplyingmovements.com, um, you can access the web app. So uh, with that said, may God bless you, may he keep you, may he make his face shine down upon you and give you peace. And uh, may you have an impact in your life. Wherever your feet go, may you carry Jesus and may he like be sticking out all over the place. <laughs> so I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your week. God bless.